StarCast Network. Come to the dark side of podcasts. We have cookies. Cookies? We love cookies. <laughs> hey there, Rainbow Warriors. I'm CJ, host of Beyond the Rainbow, true crimes of the LGBT. My episodes focus on crimes committed by and against the LGBTQ community. I've covered cases you probably have heard of, such as Matthew Shepard, Brandon Tina, and the Orlando Pulse nightclub massacre, as well as some lesser-known cases like the murder of Ray Hainish, the Australian gay beat murders, and the suspicious disappearance of Lisa Lynn Stone. I cover cases brought to me by listeners like Penny Brummer, who I believe was wrongfully convicted, taboo cases such as lesbian corrective rape and murder in South Africa, and Pray the Gay Away camps. I discuss gay serial killers, women who pretend to be men to hook up with other women, and trans murders. I'm opinionated and uncensored. I know I'm not everyone's cup of tea, but surely I'm someone shot at tequila. No matter what your gender or orientation in life might be, please join me as I tackle rainbow crimes in search of unicorn justice. Remember, it's not a crime to be gay. Unless you're a murderer. Hola, my beautiful humans. This is Jasmine Castillo, and I bring stories and cases from the people of color community, bringing awareness of murdered and missing indigenous women, girls, two spirits, the LGBTQ community, Asian American, Native Hawaiian, Pacific Islander, Black Indigenous People of Color. These are their stories. So, welcome to Hands Off, my podcast. Hello, my homekins. This is part three of a four-part series that will explore the issues of missing and murdered Black women and girls. Part one dropped on August 10th, and part two on September 21st. If you haven't listened to the first and second part, Please do, and come back to this episode when you're finished. It gives you an extended information about the Missing and Murdered African American Women and Girls Task Force in Minnesota. The alarming statistic that Black women and girls are nearly three times more likely to be victims of homicide, despite making up only 7% of the population in Minnesota. Additionally, Black women make up 40% of domestic violent victims in the state. Determining the precise number of missing black women and girls in the United States is challenging due to the various factors, including inconsistencies in data collection and reporting practices. However, available estimates suggest that the number is disproportionately high compared to their representation in the overall population. The Black and Missing Foundation is a nonprofit organization dedicated to finding missing black people, estimates that there are over 64,000 missing black women and girls in the United States. This number is alarming, considering that black women and girls make up only about 13% of the U.S. female population. Based on the latest data, there is a concerning number of 4,000 individuals who go missing daily in the United States. These disappearances can occur in various scenarios, such as a child unexpectedly vanishing from familiar places like their school bus stop or a local park, 
Similarly, teenagers may not return home after running errands to a nearby grocery store or engaging in recreational activities with their peers. In some cases, even adults mysteriously go missing without any trace. Absent from their workplace for extended periods of time with no sightings reported by neighbors and no communication established with concerned loved ones. Another contributing factor is the lack of adequate media coverage and attention devoted to missing black women and girls. Studies have shown that missing black women and girls receive significantly less media coverage compared to missing white women and girls. This disparity in coverage can hinder efforts to locate missing individuals and raise awareness about the issue. In this episode, we will discuss the lives of Tomika J. Swoop, Roxana Brown, Sharice Lorraine Pollard, and Joanne Marie Ruford. These are their stories. In the neighborhood called Powderhorn Park in Minneapolis is considered a lower middle income area with residents earning below the average income. The income in this neighborhood falls below that of a 67.7% of the neighborhoods in the United States. Additionally, 8.1% of children 17 and under who reside in this neighborhood live below the federal poverty line, which is a lower rate compared to 56.3% of the neighborhoods across America. Now, a lot of people might not be familiar with this, but the Powderhorn Park and its surrounding neighborhood gained significant attention in the summer of 2020 when the tragic murder of George Floyd took place just a few blocks away. This incident sparked a nationwide uprising and placed Powderhorn at the center of organizing efforts. Moreover, it gave rise to the largest houseless encampment in Minneapolis history. Following their eviction from an abandoned Sheraton Hotel during the riots, a group of houseless individuals established a camp east side of Powderhorn Park, which quickly grew to include around 560 tents and 282 campers on both sides of the park. Tomika Swoop resided in Powderhorn Park neighborhood. She was also known as Jay from her friends and family. She recently completed her studies at Merck Alternative High School and held a position as a server at a Culver restaurant. Jay had an inspiration of becoming a police officer, displaying her dedication and determination to contribute positively to the society. Additionally, she enjoyed playing sports, particularly basketball and football, both of which were her favorites. On Monday, April 25, 2011, at around 11 p.m., Jay accompanied her cousin to the bus stop located on 33rd Street and Chicago Avenue South. She made a quick stop at a convenience store a mere block and a half away. During their walk, Jay and her cousin noticed a dark-colored car tailing them, heightening their concerns for their safety. As she was walking home from the South Side Deli, tragedy struck when a 19-year-old Jay Swoop was shot 
Suddenly, gunshots rang out, leaving Jay injured above her left eyebrow by one of the approximately five shots fired towards her on Columbus Avenue. While her cousin suffered a graze wound on their hand from one of the bullets, Ernest Breland said he had just gotten out of the shower and gone upstairs to his room when he heard the gunshots. He looked out his window and saw his niece lying on the sidewalk. He rushed outside, picked her up, and sped to the Abbott Northwestern Hospital. From there, she was transferred to Hennepin County Medical Center. Quote, it doesn't look good, he said, as he and her other family members and friends kept vigil at the hospital. Jay was left in critical condition. Her family was informed by doctors at the Hennepin County Medical Center that she only had 24 to 36 hours left to live at most. Jay's family resides in the 3200 block of Columbus Avenue South, just steps away from where she was shot. Ernest, Jay's uncle, said he and other family members were questioned for hours at police headquarters after the shooting and then went to the hospital. Despite the best efforts of medical professionals, Jay's injuries proved fatal and she passed away on Thursday, April 28, 2011. According to the relatives, it is believed that Jay may have been mistaken for a gang member. Authorities even confirmed that Jay had no criminal record and no affiliations with any gangs, making this incident all the more devastating. According to Ernest, there has been ongoing conflict between the Tens gang and the Bloods gang, with their neighborhood being predominantly occupied by the latter. Over the past month, there have been concerning numbers of shootings, three or four in total. Ernest suggests that Jay may have been mistakenly targeted due to her attire, wearing red on the night she was shot. The recent spike in violence has deeply disturbed the neighbors, especially those with young children. One resident expressed their fear and concern about the Powderhorn neighborhood, living directly across from where the incident took place. They question whether the incident was related to gang activity as authorities have identified known gang members residing at that address. This frightening experience has prompted them to reflect on how they can contribute towards making their neighborhood a better and safer place. Jean Tinsley, the grandmother of Jay, who has been caring for her since she was just six months old, was discharged from the hospital on Tuesday afternoon. However, rest was not an option for her once she returned home. The phone seemed to never stop ringing. At 69 years old, Jeanne Tinsley had already raised six children and numerous grandchildren. When asked how many grandchildren she had raised, she simply replied, quote, I stopped counting, end quote. Jay was the last grandchild living in Tinsley's home. Sadly, this isn't the first occurrence of a death in the family. Jay's brother, Anthony Blair Price, at the age of 20, was beaten to death in April of 2003 at Park and Franklin Avenues in Minneapolis in a dispute family members said that involved a radio. Jean Tinsley expresses her concerns about the neighborhood, even referring to it as a source of trouble. The Monday night that... Jay decided to walk to the nearest convenience store. 
Tinsley requested that her granddaughter bring back one of those elongated snacks known as the Slim Jim. Following the unfortunate shooting incident, it was discovered that the Slim Jim was found underneath Jay's body. A somber vigil was held on May 1st, 2011 to remember this beautiful young woman who tragically lost her life in a senseless act of violence in an effort to honor the memory of Jay and bring an end to such acts. Family and friends gathered at the location where the shooting occurred, offering flowers, cards, and balloons as symbols of their love and remembrance. During this gathering, individuals stood side by side, holding hands and offering prayers for peace. Jenny Kraft, a fifth grade teacher who had taught Jay in years past, was present among the crowd during the vigil. She reflected on the beautiful dreams that Jay had possessed and how her promising life was taken away far too soon. Kraft also recalled another tragic incident from 2002 when Taisha Edwards, another one of her former students, was killed while doing her homework inside her own home, not far from where Jay met her tragic fate. Police spokesman Sergeant Bill Palmer said that late Tuesday, April 26, that, quote, we don't have enough information to publicly release anything about our investigation, end quote. Also in articles and statements states that no one has been arrested. Jay was a remarkable individual who has left an inedible mark in other people's lives. She possessed a vibrant spirit with a promising future ahead of her. Her loved ones held a special place in their heart. Although she did not formally register as an organ donor, Jay's family made the compassionate choice to make a donation on her behalf to the Hennepin County Medical Center Wall of Heroes. Through this selfless act, she was able to provide the gift of life to six individuals, granting them a second chance. If anyone has any information about the case of Tamika J. Swoop, please contact the tips line at 612-692-8477. There is very limited information regarding the disappearance of Roxana Brown, who was last seen in Minneapolis, Minnesota on March 15, 1994. No further communication or updates have been received since then. The details surrounding her case remain scarce at this time. Roxana Brown is classified as a missing person. She is a black female, 44 years old at the time of disappearance, red hair and brown eyes, with distinct physical characteristics, like a unique identifier including a discolored ear, scar on her left arm, pierced ears, and a pierced nose. She has a history of a fractured right leg. Standing at 5 feet 7 inches, weighing around 136 pounds. If you have any information regarding her whereabouts or any leads that may assist in locating her, please contact the Minneapolis Police Department at 
Cherise Lorraine Pollard is a young mother that vanished from Minneapolis, Minnesota, last seen on April 17, 1992, leaving detectives puzzled as to what could have occurred to cause her to disappear. 19-year-old Cherise Pollard was last seen at her home in the vicinity of the 600 block of East 16th Street. There were rumors that she had planned on taking a trip to either Boston, Massachusetts or Milwaukee, Wisconsin. However, that information was never substantiated. Cherise left behind an infant child, something her family and her friends say she would have never done. They and the police fear foul play, according to a statement from the Minneapolis police. Cherise was also pregnant when she disappeared. She was born on December 19, 1972. At the time of her disappearance, Cherise Pollard was 5 feet 6 inches to 5 feet 8 inches tall and 115 to 120 pounds. She had black, brown hair and brown eyes. She also had a blonde streak in her hair, which was in a curly style. There are no nicknames or aliases associated with her. Some distinguishing marks features include light complexion, pierced ears, the earrings that she was wearing at the time would have the last names of Martinez on one ear and White on the other, a birthmark on the knee, previous wrist fracture, a discoloration on the right wrist, left knee and right arm. She was also carrying a keychain. Cherise is also deaf in her right ear. Anyone with information is urged to contact the Minneapolis Police Department at 612-673-2345. Joanne Marie Rolford, 24 years old at the time, went missing from her residence in Hennepin County. Despite the diligent efforts of local authorities, her whereabouts remain unknown. On November 1, 1988, Joanne sent her children off to school, but was not present when they returned home. No one else had seen or heard from her since she attended a party at her home the previous day, leading to her being reported as missing. While there are limited details available about Joanne's case, officials have determined that she was born on January 13, 1964 and had allegedly attended North High School. In an article published by the Star Tribune newspaper on August 16, 1996, the murder of Deborah Rogers, who is Joanne's cousin, is discussed. It is worth noting that the two other cousins of Joanne were also victims of murder during the period between 1992 and 1996. Unfortunately, those cases remain unsolved as of the time this article was written. Joanne, who also went by Shaka Khan, is a black female who is classified as endangered missing. Joanne is described as being approximately 4 feet 11 and weighing between 135 pounds to 145. It should be noted that she has a colostomy bag due to previous surgery. Additionally, Joanne has distinguishing characteristics such as brown hair and brown eyes. She often wears wigs and goes by the nickname Shaka Khan. If you have any information regarding Joanne's disappearance, please reach out to the Minneapolis Police Department at 612-673-5701.
The issue of missing and murdered black women and girls, MMAAWG, is a serious one that has been neglected for far too long. According to the National Crime Information Center, there are over 200,000 active missing person cases in the United States. In the United States, black girls and women accounted for nearly 34% of the reported missing cases in 2020, totaling 90,333 individuals. Disturbingly, cases involving black women and girls remain open for four times longer than other cases on average nationwide. Among those who are missing are victims of abduction, sex trafficking, and individuals fleeing abusive situations. Additionally, black women have significantly higher rates of homicide compared to their white counterparts, 4.4 per 100,000, compared to 1.5 per 100,000. These distressing trends persist in Minnesota as well, where black women and girls face a murder rate that is 2.7 times higher than that of white women. However, it is important to recognize that beyond homicides, Systemic inequalities expose black women and girls to increased vulnerability to violence throughout their lives. This data highlights the urgent need for intention and action towards addressing the unique challenges faced by black women and girls in our society. The disparities in maternal mortality rates between black and white mothers are significant, with black mothers experiencing twice the rate compared to their white counterparts. It is also troubling that black women and girls are more likely to face housing crises or live in substandard housing. Access to safe and affordable housing is crucial for protection against violence. Sadly, segregation, discriminatory landlords, redlining, and imbalanced housing market have systemically excluded black renters and home buyers from equal opportunities in Minnesota. These inequalities have had severe consequences that disproportionately affect BIPOC Minnesotans. The MMAAW Task Force and Community Adversary Council, in conjunction with the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women Task Force, conducted a comprehensive analysis of both historical factors and current systems that contribute to the vulnerability of Black women and girls by considering not only law enforcement agencies' response to missing and murder cases, but also the underlying structural and institutional causes of violence. This research aims to pinpoint the essential policy, practice, and resource investments required to eradicate these injustices. It is important to remember that MMAAWG is not just a statistic. It is a crisis that is affecting real people and families. We must all work together to bring attention to this issue and to find solutions. If you know of a missing or murdered black woman or girl from this episode or any others, please contact your local law enforcement agency or one of the organizations listed in my show notes. You can also call the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children at 1-800-THE-LOST That is 1-800-847-5678. If you enjoy our show, please rate us on Apple or Spotify.
and be sure to come back and listen to us every other Thursday. Until then, this is Jasmine Castillo. We are voiceless no more. Proud member of Darkcast Network, Uncovered.com, Transdo Task Force, Crime Survivors for Safety and Justice, and partner with Search and Support San Antonio and Seasons of Justice.